Um, and so we're going to start a new sermon series. We started it last week, and this is Lessons from the Wilderness. Let's just bow our heads and ask God to bless this message. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these people. I thank you for their commitment. I thank you for this church. And now, Lord, I ask you that you anoint this message through the Holy Spirit. Let it be your message, not a man's message, but the word inspired by the Holy Spirit for the truth of what you want us to hear today. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, this is entitled Lessons from the Wilderness, Part 2. And you know, last week I talked about the fact that God selected Moses as the man to lead the people of, of uh, Israel out of Egypt, and he waited until Moses was 80 years old before he could use him. And the lesson there was that God had to squeeze everything out of Moses that was personal, all the ego, all the I, everything out of Moses before what would be left could be used by God. And it's a terrific lesson to understand that God uses people well into their older ages and an especially appropriate message for our church. Well, this week we're going to focus on the fact, we're going to look from a macro view of what God had in mind when he took two million people out of Egypt, brought them into the desert, and led them in the desert for 40 years. Now, if you study this and, and, and you're a scientist, it's an unbelievable miracle. Nobody, nobody would ever do that because the supply trains that would be necessary in order to accommodate that number of people out in the middle of a desert would be mind-boggling. There would need to be trains with, with car after car of water and car after car of food in every possible way. And yet here's Moses leading these people uh, because God has told him to do that. Two million people out in the middle of the uh, wilderness. And so we have so much to learn, really, so much to learn about the heart of God and understanding, really, why did God do this? And what are the lessons for us today? And so, really, uh, the people of God, from God's perspective, needed to bear testimony to who he was. God expected the Hebrew people to stand up and be a testimony to every, every country every people in the Mediterranean basin. Um, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua 24, verse 16, and then you'll see uh, effectively the response of the people to this. And it says there, verse 16, then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt, from the land of slavery, and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nation, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God." And you understand that, that that's effectively the very nature of what God did and the testimony that he wanted from his people. And so we can learn much today. When we study this, this message and we study the biblical passages, we're not studying it just from a historical precedent aspect. We're not. 
we are studying it because God is speaking to us today. We are the people of God. We are the chosen people. We are effectively the people that God has taken out us out of Egypt, and he brought us into salvation. You understand? And so the fact that God has taken you out of a sin past saved you, and now the question becomes, what are his expectations for us? Um, and there are significant spiritual values connected with the wilderness years. And God desired Israel to herald that testimony throughout that part of the country. He desired to separate Israel from that part of the world so that he might be a distinctive testimony about him. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. And there the word says, But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the world. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go, but he's representing them there, saying that they are being called a chosen people to stand up and, and be the exemplar of what God wants us to be. And so here's the point. The nations around the Mediterranean basin, the nations that would come into contact with this two million group of wandering Jews were terrified of them. They were terrified of them. And if you look at Exodus chapter 15, you will see in verse 14 this message. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. All right, we'll start with the prior verse. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. How do you like that? Melt away before a wandering group of Jews that has no army, that has no armament, that has no food, that has no water, that effectively has no government other than the fact that this one man has been called by God. And yet all these other countries with established cultures that have been in place for years are terrified of them. And they are terrified of them for one reason, because almighty God anointed them. And that's really the message for you today that God has anointed you and called you and saved you. And so this becomes an important message for all of us to recognize what are the expectations of God for us. And we see that, really see that through this study. Um, and, and God said it really powerfully in Deuteronomy chapter 2. Uh, he said there, This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the peoples everywhere under the heavens, who, when they hear the report of you, will tremble and be in anguish because of you. Can you imagine? That's what God did when he called out this mass, this two million mass of people that had lived in captivity for 400 years. Now, I want you to understand something. You might say, I still don't really get why God would take them out and then lead them around in a desert for 40 years when most theologians will tell you that the trip really into the promised land probably should have taken about six weeks. 
But God had a plan. And his plan was to take all of Egypt out of the people. You see, after 400 years, these people had become a pagan people. They were not really the dedicated Hebrew people. Instead, they had become polluted by the idolatry of Egypt. And so God wanted to call them as his people, as his standard, and to stand as the exemplar of what it meant to be the people of God. And so it becomes important. This is what happens. This is the testing of God. This is what God did then, and this is what God does to us. God will test us. God will strengthen us. He intends for you to build up your spiritual muscles. And it took 40 years for the Jews in, uh, in wandering in that wilderness before God had been completely satisfied uh, with their progress. And you know the fact that of the 2 million people that left Egypt uh, over the age of 21, only two made it to the promised land. Only two, Joshua and Caleb. And so our God has a, has a significant call on our lives. He demands that we have a testimony, that we be an example, that we honor him in every possible way. And so even as I studied this passage, and I really wanted to get a sense of, of what the surrounding peoples in the Mediterranean basin thought of this ragtag group of two million people wandering through the desert. I, I pull out the words of Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, who when the spies got into Jericho, she took them into her home. She protected them uh, so that they would be safe. And because of that, uh, she was promised that they, she would have protection by the Jewish people. In fact, after the walls of Jericho came down, she and her entire family became incorporated into the Jewish people. She became such an outstanding woman of faith that she is within the very lineage of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? But this is what she said to the Hebrew spies in Joshua chapter 2. Uh, she said as follows, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And that is from a pagan. Can you imagine? That is from a pagan. Someone who saw the power of God firsthand and testify to it. And so this is what we need to understand. God is so powerful. He has such high expectations for us as he's called us, effectively called us out of Egypt. Every one of us have been called out of Egypt and brought into salvation by God. And so the wilderness experience is meant to be a reminder to us uh, that God has made a covenant to his people. And he did that from the very beginning to Abraham. He called that. And he said to Abram, I will call your people. Your people will be as numerous as the stars and as the sand on the sea. Uh, and, and we are really a part of that, even though we're not Jewish. 
Uh, we have been, been really a part of that. And so he says here uh, in Exodus 34, verse 10, Behold, I am going to make a covenant. Before all your people, I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations, and all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord himself. For it is a fearful thing that I am going to perform with you. That's the promise of God to each and every one of us. It is a fearful thing of what I intend to perform with you. And so God intends to use us as an example to the world. He intends to use us as a testimony to the lost. He intends to have us stand up and show the world what it means when men and women give their hearts to God and how God will use them in such a powerful way. Now, it's not easy. It's not easy doing this. It's not easy standing up and being an example. I myself have, have had issues over my life of, of, of really failing from time to time. Uh, and God has really helped me and corrected me. I know I've told this story before, but I think it's appropriate now. You know, several years ago in Naples during the winter, you know how it gets downtown. It gets incredibly crowded, and every, every day I would go into the Fifth Avenue coffee shop, and I would, I would order coffee, all right? But in February, because of the mass that descended on Naples, I couldn't get into the shop. I'd have to stand out on the sidewalk and wait 20 minutes as I would wind my way slowly into the register. And as I'm walking into the register in front of me, I see this guy dressed in what I can only call a bicycle sausage suit. You know those suits. Those skin-tight suits. And what was worse is that this guy was about seven or eight years older than I was. And so I was doubly irritated. I was irritated because of the line and I was irritated because I couldn't get into a suit like that. And so all of that is percolating up in my mind, and I'm being irritated. And so finally, finally, after 20 minutes of standing there, and I get to the register, and just before we get to the register, one of his pals, also dressed in a sausage suit, comes up running with him and gives him a long piece of paper with numerous orders that needed to be filled. And this is where Jersey John came to light, all right? Because God can save you, but there's still a lot of the old man still in us. And so as he patented him this paper, all I can tell you is I sucked a deep breath and I, and I got ready to launch a missile out of my mouth that would have blasted him. And with that, this guy turns around, turns around and looks at me and said, John, we love your Bible study. Oh, dear Jesus, forgive me. What a warning that was. You understand what a warning that was? That here I was thinking I'm a free agent. I can reduce people to dust because God gave me that ability, and yet God protected me. Can you imagine how many people would have been offended? Who, know, who knows if anybody would have come back to that Bible study on Monday after I had destroyed it. But you see, that's how God wants to use us. He wants us to be an example. And so in every aspect of your life, you are no different than the wilderness experience of the Jewish people. There is no difference. And so in the wilderness years, God promised to instruct and prepare Israel. 
for, for the day that they would be called. And it was really a spiritual kindergarten. That's what it was. It was a spiritual kindergarten. And so God patiently bore with Israel's slowness, uh, with their repeated failures, uh, with their repeated balking of the leadership of Moses, uh, because God knew that they were effectively pagans. And so every step of the way, they obstructed Moses. Uh, it didn't matter that he brought him through the Red Sea. It didn't matter because afterwards they needed water and they were ready to stone him. It didn't matter that he had been with them and gave them everything that they needed. They wanted food. He had to deliver them bread and then he had to deliver them meat. And this went on constantly for 40 years. Constant bickering, constant complaints uh, in every way. That's why Moses is one of the greatest men in the, in the Old Testament. You can't possibly imagine what it was like to have to be Moses and take this ragtag group of people through the desert. Only by the inspired word of God and the Holy Spirit on him was he able to sustain this. And you know, if you get a chance, you know the Ten Commandments, the original Ten Commandments, is one of my favorite movies, Cecil B. DeMille. One of my favorite movies, it really is. And I hope you get a chance to watch it. And there's a scene in that movie that after the number of miracles that have been performed, Dathan, Dathan confronts Moses. Dathan, and this is right out of the Bible, confronts Moses and now says to Moses, effectively, you're a loser. You're a loser. We should never have followed you out here. You're a loser. Uh, and, he's, and, and I want you to imagine this. Edward G. Robinson, in his famous Jewish Brooklyn accent, which is really how the Hebrew people spoke during that time, walks up to Moses and says, See here, Moses, where's your God now? Where's your God now? Can you imagine? Where's your God now? This is the same God that had delivered them through the Red Sea, who had taken water out of a rock, who followed them, allowed them to be led with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Where's your God now? And I'm glad to report in the movie, which is accurate in the Bible, the ground opened up and 20,000 Hebrew people disappeared. Disappeared. Check your Bible. Check your Bible. All right. What does it mean? It means this, that God will not tolerate that kind of conduct from people that have been called out. He will not tolerate that kind of conduct. And Moses was a, was a, a holy man and a godly man. And so really, we have to understand that God wants to separate our conduct out from the world. He is not interested in us being like everybody else. And by the way, let me say this, you know, I, I, I often hesitate to say God wants to separate out our conduct because I grew up in a church that emphasized the fact that we have to be a peculiar people. Uh, and if my sister were here, she would cringe at the words peculiar people because unfortunately, legalistic churches interpret the terminology of peculiar people to be, well, you can't wear makeup, uh, you can't dance, 
You can't go to the movies. Wait a minute. This is not what God intended to be a peculiar people. He intended your heart to be peculiar. He intended you to have integrity and to have righteousness. That's the peculiarity that God intended so that when you walked in the world, they would say this person is one of them. This person is called out by God. This person is a Christian. That's really what God wanted. That's what the essence of what the call is on our life in such an important way. And so God desired to instill a new generation, a new generation. He wanted them to understand his power. He wanted them to understand his glory. He wanted them to understand the nature of his blessings. Uh, and he wanted them to understand how he was totally unique. There was nothing like him. There was no other God and that he alone was God alone. Uh, and, and really in a powerful way. If you got your Bibles, turn to Leviticus chapter 18. Verse 3. We'll start with verse one. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord, your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord, your God. Keep my decrees and law for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord your God. It's pretty straightforward. That's what God expected when he called them. That's what the example was to be, that you would live according to the will of God, that you would live according to the commandments, that you would walk every day of your life as an example to a lost world to recognize what God had done with you. And so it becomes so important that we, that we recognize what God has done. Look also at Deuteronomy chapter 5. Verse 23, but he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all the laws before the Lord our God as he had commanded us, then we will be righteous and so God determined throughout the 40 years that he would continue to persevere on behalf of the Jewish people, even though they rejected him, even though they would be still involved in idolatry in so many ways. Yet God had continued the promise that he made to Abraham that I will make a great people out of you. And so it took 40 years, 40 years to get Egypt out of out of the Jewish people in every, one, uh, in every possible way. And the problem was that time and time again, even after the Jewish people got into the promised land, that they continued to go back and fall back in idolatry. You know this. And that even though they, they had a great king with David and then Solomon, that what happened after that? That they began to fall away from the commandments of God. And they began to go into idolatry. And so what happens? Finally, finally, God has had enough. God has had enough. And he draws a line in the sand. And they will be punished. They will go into judgment. 
And that judgment will continue for several hundred years because the Babylonian Empire will come in in about the year 700 and take the Jews captive. Take the Jews captive and they will go in and ransack the temple. They will take the Ark of the Covenant. They will take it out of Israel and no one has ever seen the Ark of the Covenant again, ever. Because God was instructing them. God was teaching them that they needed to follow God and worship him in spirit. And that merely because they would have had the physical uh, evidence of him, that what was more critical was the spiritual evidence of him, that God is a spirit and we worship him in spirit. And so this becomes an important lesson for us to remember. And so God wanted to remind them that he was the God that brought them out of bondage, that he was the God who, who owned them, who effectively was their master. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 15, beginning with verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled. Why not? He had only just taken him through the Red Sea against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them. And there he tested them. He said to them, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes. If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your God who heals you. How's that promise? And that promise is as good today as it was 2,000 years ago. That's the promise of God. If you live in righteousness with God, if you walk with God, if you follow his commandments, if you humble yourself in every way, God will protect you. He'll put his hand around you. And the things that other people will go through, God will put a hedge around you and that you won't have to experience these things. Yes, I know we suffer. Yes, I know from time to time things are gonna come, come against us uh, in a way that, that might be evil, but God will be with you. Nothing will happen to you that not, is not within the perfect will of God. And so God attempted, God attempted to drill these lessons into the hearts of the Hebrew people as they wandered in the wilderness. He repeatedly used these wilderness lessons as instructional tools, tools for later generations when they were in Canaan. In the promised land, God used those lessons. Later, under the kings of Israel, he used those lessons. And even when they were in captivity, even in captivity, God used those lessons. Uh, and right up through the time of Jesus. And so clearly, we have to understand that there was a purpose in the wilderness years. God calls us to be an example. God calls us to be a testimony. God saved you because he expected in your salvation that you would be an example to a lost world. Look also, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Be careful 
to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that cometh from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. What an incredible set of verses there is there that God is telling him. That's exactly what he's doing. He's showing you what's in your heart. He wants to humble you. He wants you to elevate yourself, to serve him in the highest possible way, to be righteous and take on the commandments and live that kind of holy life as you bow before the Lord. And that's what, he, that's what he did with these people. Can you imagine that even their clothing did not wear out after 40 years? This is an extraordinary miracle. There is no greater miracle ever made in the history of the world than 2 million people traversing the wilderness for 40 years. None. I don't care what it is. None. And that is your God. That's how much your God cares for you. Just as if you were there walking in the desert, because effectively that's what we are. This is the nature of how God really calls us. And so uh, it becomes important for us to understand this. So God exposed the hearts of, of the Jewish people. He showed their bitterness. He showed the fact that they were still idolaters and that they had forgotten the graciousness of God that took them out of the brick pits uh, and saved them in such a great way. Israel needed to learn that God was a testing God. God was a testing God. Psalm 11 verse 4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sins of men. Make no mistake about it. Your God loves you. He served you. He saved you. He called you out. He protects you. He gave you salvation that cannot be taken away. But he expects, on the other hand, that you will live a life that will be an example to the lost world. He, he calls this upon you because this is the essence of why he saved you. This is why he called out the Jewish people, why he brought the Jewish people 40 years through the wilderness so that all those nations would live in terror. Live in terror uh, because of the power of God. And you know, there was a verse there in, in this set of verses that I didn't read in which God warns them, warns them. And he says, I am a jealous God and I expect you to serve me. And I remember some years ago that Oprah Winfrey made a very big deal out of the fact that God said, uh, I am a jealous God. And she said, why is God jealous of me? I resent that, that, that God says he's jealous of me. You understand when people don't have spiritual discernment 
And they read a word like that, not recognizing the fact that what God was saying, that I have a higher calling for you. I have a higher calling for you. I'm looking for you to be my children, to be an example to the world. He wasn't jealous in terms of the way human beings are jealous, but he called us. He elevated us. He expects us to have a higher standard than the world and to be his people. This message needs to be delivered to so many people. So many people need to hear this, that the power of God in saving you and calling you out, you need to have this message shared with your family. Because here's the thing, very often, your family does not share your same values. Because very often, so many of us have gotten into the trap that we live reckless lives six days a week, and then Sunday we put our clothes on and we go to church, and for one hour we're religious. And then we walk out of church, and the only thing we, thing we can think of is where are we going for pancakes, right? Where are we going for pancakes? You understand? We're involved in a serious business, really. We're, we're involved in a serious business. And I don't mean to be the kind of guy that is preaching hellfire to you. I don't do that. God loves you. I love you. But God has called us. He has called us to some greater purpose. You could not have been called out of Egypt after being there for 400 years and being dragged through the wilderness for 40 years if there was not some greater purpose in your life. And it's the same today. You have been saved by God. You have been brought out of despair. You have been brought away from a, of a life of evil and lifted up for no other purpose than God loved you and cared for you. Now he expects you to walk with him, to be with him, uh, and to be the kind of example that, that he wants you to be to a world that is lost. Let us not leave this place without reflecting on that call. This is the call that God has given us. Let us reflect on that in every possible way, especially this week. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message, Father. I ask you that it resonate in our hearts, that each and every one of us reflect on what you have done for us, Father, and that we recognize that you have expectations for us. Help us, Lord, to follow you. Help us, Lord, to remove any trace of Egypt out of our heart. Help us, Lord, to recognize that without you, we would be lost forever, and that we should be the people of God, standing tall, as your example. Lord, bless our church, bless our people, protect them this week and everywhere that they go. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.